Okay, the loaf of bread itself was a common food among the um, Jews. So Jesus Christ used that to typify food. And he used that to also explain his identity and who he is to us, right? And then we said two things that um, food does to the human body is that number one, it satisfies. And number two, it sustains. And that is what Jesus Christ does to us as well. That's who Jesus Christ is to us. Jesus satisfies us. And we explained last week that um, we saw from scriptures last week that there's, there's, only, there's a satisfaction that can only come from Jesus Christ. That's the satisfaction that comes from knowing Christ Jesus. And we, we explained that um, this satisfaction begins from salvation, but it doesn't end there. So as we get born again, when someone gets born again and, then, and, and the relationship with Christ proceeds, that satisfaction continues to, um, continues to be, be the person's experience. Then number two, which I want to emphasize on a bit before we begin today, is the fact that um, food, food, food satisfies, yes, but food also sustains us. And that sustaining property of food is important to, to the human body. That's, in, that's the same way um, Jesus Christ sustains us. And he says he's the bread of life. So the, the bread he supplies um, sustains us. It keeps us going. And I, I looked at an example from from Elijah when he, after he, you know, destroyed the, the altar of Baal and, you know, killed the prophet, um, Jezebel threatened him and said, by this time tomorrow, if you are not dead, then I'll, I'll be dead. Pretty much that's what she said. And then Elijah, Elijah began to run. And he got to a point where he was tired and slept off. And so an angel came and woke him up and gave him food to eat. Elijah ate the first time and went back to sleep. The angel woke him up again and said, see, wake up and eat because the journey you are going is a great journey. Um, and he ate again. And the Bible says that he went in the strength of that meal for the next 40 days. Now, there's a, there's a very significant implication that that story presents to us as believers and as Christians today. Um, of course, we are not, I'm not saying an angel will appear to you literally and give you food, even though that is possible. But um, in our context, it not, it's not limited to that experience alone. How God now gives us food in, in, in our own um, experience is, is what Jesus Christ said in the book of Matthew. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So God, um, God doesn't expect us to live on physical food alone, but rather the, the word that proceeds from the Father is, um, is food also to our spirit. So just as physical food satisfies and um, sustains the body, then the word that the Father speaks to us also sustains us. And we saw that when, when, when God wants to, you know, when God wants to help us in any season of our lives, what he does predominantly is that he gives us a word. He gives us a word or, or he gives us a revelation that sustains us through the period, especially if the period we are about entering into um, will be a tough period or might be a trying period or might be a long period. You know, just like Elijah, the angel said to Elijah, eat because this journey you are going is a distant journey, is a great journey. You know, there are, there are seasons of our lives where we go through things that are, are, are great. Yeah, we go through seasons of our lives that are somewhat, you know, um, tough or, or seemingly dry and, and we require strength to go through that experience. So what God does is that he gives us his own bread, the bread from heaven, which is his word. And that this word I'm, I'm referring to is not just the generic word Bible, 
you know, in, the, in its totality. It's a portion of scripture or some portions of scripture that are specific to our situation. And God, in his mercy, usually gives this um, word before we enter into a season. And if we're diligent in our fellowship with Christ, then we will be receptive to the word and the utterances that God gives to us. And, you know, talking about this, talking about this, I am reminded of, you know, when, when I was going to get married. Um, so I got married last year, but from 2019, you know, we started praying for the wedding, planning for it, and, you know, setting my heart towards it. And one day I went to God, one of the times I was praying about it, God gave me a verse of a, a whole chapter in scripture, you know, um, and that chapter was all through the preparation for wedding, um, even till date, right? That whole chapter in scripture always still speaks to me. And whenever anything comes up, I go back to that scripture and read it and pray over it. And God always revealed, reveals something new to me from that portion of scripture, especially regarding, um, regarding marriage or, or wedding and things like that. And I strongly believe that God foresaw of, uh, that God foresaw what um, our what challenges we will face in the preparation of the wedding, and then because of all of that and the new environment and everything that was going to occur, God gave me that passage of scripture, and I held on to it, and I have seen that scripture fulfilled, and it's still being fulfilled um, day by day. So that is one of the examples and one of the ways that God sustains us. Remember, Jesus said, "I am the bread of life. I am the food, just as food is to your body." That is what I am to your, to your existence, to your life. And so God sustains us through his word that he gives to us, okay? I just wanted to recap that before we move into today's um, Bible study. All right. So we're going to start today's Bible study. Today's focus is, um, what's today's focus again? Today's focus is light of the world. Thank you. Today's focus is light of the world. So Jesus Christ saying the light of the world. Now, if you're just joining us if you didn't, if you're just joining us this year, um, we started a new series and we are looking at the, the revelation of Jesus and the statements that Jesus Christ made about himself, what is popularly known as the I am statements. So where Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, truth and life. You know, there are seven of them. So we're looking at these um, I am statements to see who Jesus is to us. And one of the emphasis that God has been placing in my heart is, is people really knowing who Jesus is. Um, it, it's beyond principles. It's beyond principles and methods. You know, I can come and, and say, oh, there are seven principles of faith. There are five principles of, of prayer. There are, there are 10 methods of fasting. And all of that is important. But if you don't know Jesus, right, then knowing the principles will be would be irrelevant if you don't know the person then knowing the principles would not would not would not count for so much all right so we're looking at the um i am statements of jesus and today we want to focus on we want to focus on jesus as the light of the world but before we go on i want to share something you know talking about talking about principles and, and the person i want to share i want to share something with us very briefly so there are three dimensions of knowing god Right. There are three, yeah, let me say three layers, better put. There are three layers of knowing God. Um, and these layers are synonymous to the to the um to the outer courts, the inner courts, and the holies of holies. All right. So the first layer, which is the outer layer, is 
um, knowing the principles of God, right? So just like I said, there are people that can come and tell you that, you know, when you are going through, let's say, for instance, they can come and advise you and say, you know, when you're going through a challenge, speak positively. This is the principle of the kingdom of God. This is how the kingdom works. Speak the right words. Speak positively. And, and um, never say this or never say that, which in itself is correct. And there's absolutely nothing wrong in knowing the principles. But then this set of people usually don't know the presence of God. They usually don't know the person of God, but they know the principles. And the danger with knowing the principles is that there are several experiences in life that defy principles, okay? There are several experiences in life that, I mean, if someone comes to meet you and say, oh, um, let's say they come to meet me and say, Victor, I'm going through this challenge in my life. The, the ideal thing, which is the correct thing I'll tell the person is, you know, pray about it, trust God, have faith. God will, God will come through for you. The answer will come. But what now happens? When, what, what, what will I tell the person if he does everything I say, but yet what he expects does not happen at the end of the day? Because I've given him the principles, but I did not give him, I didn't introduce him to the presence and to the person, okay? And so we should be careful about staying on the outer court of principles where we know the principles of God, we know the principles of fasting, we know the principles of, um, of declaring the word of God, we know the principles of prayer, but we don't encounter the presence of God, we don't know the person of God. Um, that's a risky thing to be, that's a risky place to be in, all right? And that's what the Bible says about the Israelites. Um, the Bible says that the Israelites knew the ways of God, uh, sorry, knew the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. So the Israelites could, could see the demonstrations, but they did not know how to make the demonstrations um, happen. All right. So we need to progress beyond just the principles and move further to the second layer, to the second yeah, layer of experiencing God, which is the presence of God. Okay. And the presence of God is very important. Moses said it himself. He said that if your presence doesn't go with us, then if your presence doesn't go with us, then we're not going to go from here. We're not going to move anywhere. If your presence is not with us. So what Moses was saying in essence was the what, what really distinguishes us from others is not our multitude, is not the strength of our army, is not our human connection, it's not how, how prim and proper we are. Moses was saying in essence that what really differentiates us from others is the presence of God. You know, you can go for a meeting, for instance, and somebody just sings a song for two minutes, but the person introduces a dimension of God's presence that is so much, and then you can tell that the presence of God is here, even though the song was a short song and was a very popular song. Okay, and, and I mean, not, not to encourage comparison, but you, you can just tell the difference between someone who fellowships with the presence of God and someone who only just knows the, knows the principles. And, and I mean, in, the, in this example I'm giving, in the context of, of um, singing, let's assume the person is a music minister. You can tell when someone really fellowships with the presence of God and when the other person just rehearsed the song, rehearsed the melody and has a good performance. The presence of God is not something you can mimic. It is either there or it is not there. There's no, there's no gymnastics that would, that would supplement for the presence of God and that will replace the presence of God. And, you know, that's why sometimes I, I'm personally careful with people that have so much um, let me use the word gymnastics, so much, so much external manifestation, so much external um, actions, right? Sometimes they may be trying to 
hide the fact that the presence of God is, uh, is not really there because the presence of God is the presence of God. If somebody keeps quiet but carries the presence of God, you will know. If somebody shouts but carries the presence of God, you will still know. So there is no activity in itself that naturally depicts the presence of God. The presence of God is the presence of God, all right? However, the presence of God is, is, um, is not the ultimate that God has because, you see, when pe people can begin to idolize the presence of God, and, and let me, I, I need to put this in a very, in a very accurate um, and contextual sense so that we understand what I'm saying. It is possible for people to, you know, idolize the presence of God in such a way that when the presence of God comes, right, they, they relax and they don't proceed further to seek his person. So let me give a good, let me give a, a good example, for instance. If um, I use a particular kind of perfume, right, and let's say I enter a, a room filled with people, if, if that's the perfume I use, you know, always, for instance, once I enter the room, people can perceive the perfume and know that, oh, Victor is here. But the fact that they know Victor is here doesn't necessarily mean they've engaged with Victor. They are probably satisfied with the aroma of the perfume or probably satisfied with whatever else um, typifies his presence. But it doesn't necessarily mean they have engaged with the, with the person of God. Okay. For instance, if a governor um, visits your, if a governor visits your house, right, he will come with a, he will come most likely come with convoy, come with security details, come with um, people that will go ahead of him. He typically will not come alone. Um, it is very possible for you to end up engaging with the security detail, greeting the um, the uh, personal assistants, um, relating with every other person around, but. Did not you will not relate with the governor. You might just get carried away and get satisfied with the aura and the environment that the governor's, pre um, governor's presence has created, but yet not engage with the governor himself. And a typical ex um, um, a typical typical example for us is is this that sometimes I've ever I mean maybe you've not had the experience, but but I have had the experience sometimes. And I believe a lot of us have also had the experience as well that you go to pray and maybe initially when you start praying, your prayer is a bit, you know, it's a bit rough. It's not very fluid. It's not very smooth. You know, you're just praying, you know, a little shamala there, shamala there. But then after some time, you begin to sense the presence of God and the prayer begins to get sweet. Now, it is possible at that point, right, where you sense the presence of God, you get so excited and say, Oh, the presence of God is in my prayer. Thank God. That means I've achieved what I want to achieve. And then you wrap up your prayer. That would not be the most um, fulfilling thing to do in prayer. Because it's possible, like I said, for you to experience, for you to witness the presence of God, but yet not engage God in that um, presence. And so the presence of God is not the ultimate that God has. And that now moves us to the, to the, to the third layer, which is what, I encourage everyone to, um, to, to encounter, and that is the person of God. The person of God, right, obviously accounts for the other two. So the person of God accounts for his presence and also for his principles. And let me say this, that if you know the person of God, okay, even when the principles don't seem to work, yet the person of God will be evident. 
right, let me take a pause here. I can see that my video is um, hanging, but please let me know if you can hear me. Yeah, um, just let me know if you can hear me loud and clear, please. You can give me a thumbs up or just drop it in the chat if you can hear me. Okay, um, Idara says she can. Another person, can you hear me? Okay, thank you, Ronke. All right, oh, thank you, Lichi, good. So please, pardon my video, not sure what's going on. All right, so um, the person of God accounts for the other two dimensions. The person of God accounts for his, for his presence and it accounts for his principles. And that's why it's important to know God for yourself. Because I can tell you for sure that there are certain times in life that some things you go through will defy all the principles of God you know. They have taught you to pray and fast about the situation and that when you pray and fast, the, the situation will change, right? But you prayed and fasted and the situation did not change. So what then would you now do? Um, you, you, you did everything that you knew to do, but the situation did not change. So then what, what, what do you do um, at that point? Okay. Um, it's, it goes beyond, it goes beyond, um, it must go beyond your, your knowledge of principles. It has to go, it, it has to proceed to even beyond just the presence of God. It has to go into, um, knowing God himself. All right. So I just wanted to drop that. Um, um, I don't know. I just thought let's drop that before we go into today's teaching. So knowing that God doesn't just want us to know his principles and know his presence alone, but he wants us to also know his person. That is to know him for yourself. All right. Okay, praise God. So yeah, that was, that was just um, that was just dessert. Please, let's go to the main meal for today. Um, so yeah, I switched my video. Please just let me know if you can, if this is clear enough for you guys. You can see me clearly. Um, quality might not be as good as the other one, but just let me know if you can see me. You can see me clearly, yeah. Um, all right, thumbs up, Kilechi. Thank you, you can see me. All right, so we'll just proceed. I will assume um, Kilechi has spoken for all of us. <laughs> all right, so we want to look at the, want to look at the light of the world. This is quite a robust topic, so I'm going to, I'm just going to drill down to some some key um, specific things for us today, okay? Um, how many of us in the group, first of all, I'm trying to, how many of us, how many of us read the scriptures in the, in the WhatsApp group that I dropped earlier today? Anybody? Just raise your hands um, if, you, if you did. If you read at least one scripture from, from um, the word I dropped in the WhatsApp group, Anybody, anybody? Hmm. Okay, so I know a, a, a good number of us here are not on um are not on the WhatsApp group. So I think we should we should join the group, you know, by the end of today. All right. Um I'll I'll drop the link for the group. You know what? Let me drop it now because I know the tendency to forget might be there. So please I'm dropping the link to the WhatsApp group right now in the group chat. Um, so please do well to join us. All right, so that's it. Okay, so let's proceed. Our, our, our anchor scripture is John chapter 8, verse 1 to 12. John chapter 8, verse 1 to 12. 
someone should please read for us John chapter 8, verse, um, verse 1 to 12. Anybody that was kind enough to please read for us John chapter 8, verse 1 to 12. Emma, helping us? John chapter 8, Hi. verse 1 to 12. Yes, please. Then everyone went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early the next morning, he went back to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made her stand before them all. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his fingers. As they stood there asking questions, he straightened up and said to them, Whichever one of you has committed no sin may throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they all left one by one, the other ones first. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up and said to her, where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir, she answered. Well, then Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, but do not sin again. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees again. I am the light of the world, he said. Whoever follows me will have the light of life and will never walk in darkness. Praise God. Thank you, Kilechi. Um, so, uh, you know, the background story it was what we just read. This woman was caught in adultery and for some reason, which I've not been able to figure out, they did not bring the man because the Bible says specifically that she was caught in the very act of adultery, meaning she was with somebody. But they didn't bring the guy that she was with. So we don't know him. However, they brought this woman. Um, and sorry, this is just my thinking. You know, it's very likely that the, this is, again, this is my thinking. I'm not saying this is in the scripture. But I'm just thinking that it's very likely that the guy they caught was probably one of their own. And so they didn't want to expose, you know, expose their own guy. And then they brought the woman alone. Well, anyways, whatever, as the case may be, they brought the woman and to Jesus. And they said, Moses said, we should stone her in cases like this, so what do you say? And Jesus didn't answer. Jesus didn't um Jesus didn't answer them. He was writing on the wall on the floor. Sorry, we don't know what he wrote, but he asked one question and says, If any of you is without sin, then throw the first stone at the woman. And the Bible lets us know that from the greatest to the youngest, right? Meaning from the eldest to the youngest, they all began to drop their stone and, and walk away. Um so Jesus continued and he made the statement that we're focusing on in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Praise God. So I want to ask, I want to give, I want to throw a question to us first of all. What does, what, what, what do you understand when Jesus Christ says, I'm the light of the world? Um, so I'm going to take maybe two responses from us. I mean, what do you understand? I believe we must have heard the phrase before. And what does it mean to you? Or what comes to your mind when you hear, when you see that Jesus Christ says he's the light of the world? 
um, tell me just tell me what comes to your mind based on scripture, based on all that you know, anyone wants to give us an, an insight. So first of all, there's no wrong answer, please. You know, this is Bible study. So I just want us to, I want to, I want to share, what do you, what comes to your mind when you read that Jesus is the light of the world? Anyone, anyone? Okay, hi, it's Kelechi again. Hi, Kelechi. Okay, so for me, I think that what that sentence there means is that he's our salvation that has been sent to the world to bring us out of our sinful ways, which was put by our original sin. So him telling us that he's the light of the world, he's he, he sort of trying to um, encourage us about how we have been brought into this world through original sin, but he has come to redeem us. He has come to shine a way for us to um, be redeemed from that sin, you know, to start a new fresh life in him through his, you know, through watching him, his life, his actions, and listening to his instructions and obeying. Praise God. Thank you so much, Kilichi. That was, that was awesome. Thank you. Anyone else wants to throw more light? Um, what does light of the world mean? Okay, for me, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, for me, when, it, when I hear light, I think of direction. I think of Jesus being the one that leads, um, him being the lamb um, for our path. Yeah, that's, that's what I see. Awesome. Thank you, Idara. Thank you. That was good as well. Okay. Um, okay, one more person. Anyone? One more person. What does light of the world mean to you? Okay, um, Benjamin dropped in the group. He says there's a veil to the face of face of we in the world because of sin, but through him he shines the light from from us through the Holy Spirit in us, unveiling the sinful nature of our eyes. So very similar to what Kelechi said um, as regards salvation. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for your contributions. So I want us to look critically at this um, scripture again because you know one of the things that um, one of the things that helps our our knowledge of God of God God's word is to you know look at the surrounding look at the context in which a statement is made and then we can extrapolate the interpretation and connect it with you know other verses of scripture. So I want us again to drill down to the story because you know when I first read the, when I not when I first read when I read the scripture. You know, recently, I began to ask myself, why was it in the experience of this woman caught in adultery that Jesus Christ now voiced out to say he's the light of the world? And let me say something to us that might help us in our, um, you know, in our knowledge of scripture and studying God's word. There are several times when Jesus Christ, you know, it was almost like Jesus Christ waited until he got into a particular context before he made certain statements or before he brought certain revelation. You know, um, Jesus Christ journeyed from um, journeyed from a, a city to another city where there was a lot of um, um, building, and 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 Philip the Tetrarch was the governor then. And because Philip the Tetrarch was an architect, he had a lot of architectural construction going on in that building at that in that city. Sorry, at that point. And then when Jesus got into the city where there's so many structures 
and so many buildings coming up. Then Jesus Christ began to talk about the church that God was building. So it seemed that Jesus was a contextual teacher, meaning he, he always loved to bring his disciples into a certain context before he explained a certain truth or he brought a certain revelation. Another example is the woman uh, is the woman by um, is a woman by the Samaritan woman rather by the well. Um, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ um, uh, met this woman by the well, and because she was by the well, he now began to talk about another well, another water that she can, another type of water that she could drink and have eternal life. So Jesus took advantage of the of the environment to bring about the truth. So it's just something common you see with Jesus Christ. So when he begins to talk about, um, when Jesus begins to talk about him being the light of the world, I, I ask myself, so in what context, what happened that made Jesus begin to bring that revelation to us? And that is the story we just read here, okay? That there was this woman caught in adultery. Um, she was to be stoned to death according to the law of Moses. And But Jesus Christ said, we are not going to stone her. Literally, he said, you don't have any rights to stone her. And he said something. I want us to read verse, verse 10 again. We are reading from John chapter 8, verse 10 now. Verse 10 again, Jesus says, um, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? So basically, Jesus Christ was saying that where the people that were supposed to, that the people that were accusing you, didn't anyone condemn you? And, and the woman replied and said, no, no one condemns you. Then Jesus made a statement that he says, then I do not condemn you. And that he made that statement in verse 11. Then the next verse, he, he turned to the people and said, I am the light of the world. And this is the, the first manifestation of Jesus being the light of the world, is that Jesus, as the light of the world, took away condemnation or takes away condemnation from um from people and this is very similar to what benjamin and um, and and kelechi said about jesus being our salvation this is very important and crucial to our christian work to know that jesus is our light meaning jesus is the one that has taken away condemnation from our our christian experience and condemnation is like darkness and we will sit in, in in john chapter 3 condemnation is like darkness and it is impossible to progress with a condemned heart with a heart that feels condemned and it is also impossible to move beyond to live above sin when you still feel condemned for whatever has happened so the first way jesus christ manifested himself as the light of the world um is to is that there was there's no condemnation he took away condemnation from our experience and let's look at john chapter 3 to explain this further john chapter 3 verse um we read from this from verse 16 john chapter 3 verse 16 um to verse 20 <clears throat> john chapter 3 verse 16 to 20 anyone there can read for us John chapter 3, verse 16, 16 to 20. Anyone, John chapter 3, 16 to 20. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. For 
not send his son into the world to be its judge, but to be its savior. Those who believe in son are not judged, but those who do not believe have already been judged because they have not believed in God's only son. This is how the judgment works. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Those who do evil things hate the light and will not come to the light because they do not want their evil deeds to be shown. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, Jesus, um, um, Jesus, this is Jesus now speaking, and he reveals to us that, um, first of all, the popular scripture of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him has eternal life, right? Then verse 17 goes on to explain something further. He says that God did not send his son. Remember, Jesus is the light here. He says God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He now says that he that believes in the son is not condemned anymore, meaning that Anyone who doesn't believe in, the, in, his, in, in Jesus Christ already faces condemnation. Condemnation for, first of all, from, from the devil and obviously even um, guilt on the inside of him. Guilt in, for unrighteousness and ungodliness and, and all of that. And the Bible lets us know that that condemnation was what Jesus Christ came to remove from, the, from, from those who believe in him. And I, I was asking myself, why is this so important? And it is so important because it is literally impossible, even as believers, right, to make progress in God with a condemned heart. And the Bible says that if our heart condemns us, that God is greater than our hearts. This is First um, John chapter 3, verse 20. <clears throat> that if our heart condemns us, us, God is greater than our hearts. Meaning if there's any point in time where, where you feel weighed down in our hearts, either by something we've done or said or whatever the circumstances may be, um, we must remember that God is greater than our hearts. And one of the things that Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus does for us is that the blood of Jesus <clears throat> cleanses us from an evil conscience. What does an evil conscience mean? An evil conscience means a guilty heart. It means a condemned heart. It means when, um, for instance, as a believer, um, you err, you make a mistake, and then your, your heart, you know, you feel guilty about what you've done. And you repent, you know, ask God for forgiveness and you repent. But sometimes the devil tries to still place that burden of guilt on your heart. And if, if we sustain that guilt, it is literally impossible to move forward with God. Your, your, your relationship with God can be severely truncated because of that guilt that and guilt you carry in your heart, because of the weight and the burden that you carry in your heart. So what Jesus Christ has come to do for us is what he did for that woman. He looked and says, woman, I don't condemn you. And that's something with, uh, you know, that's the difference between, between, you know, feeling between the convictions of God and, and the guilt of the devil. <clears throat> the conviction of God is this, that God says, hey, Victor, this thing you did was not right. But in his conviction, he doesn't condemn you. But when the devil comes, the devil comes and says, hey, Victor, this thing you've done, and you call yourself a Christian, look at you. After, and you, after praying, you prayed for four hours yesterday, but look at the way you spoke to that woman and you still call yourself a Christian. Victor, God, don't, you know, you don't need to pray again. God is not happy with you. He's angry with you. You want to go, you want to call somebody and advise on that person. After after speaking to this person this way, no, 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 Victor, don't do it. If I just go and sleep, don't pray again. Don't pray. God, the heavens are shut. They have, uh, they have closed their door. They have closed shop on your head. That is what condemnation sounds like. So conviction makes you aware of what you've done wrong, but it doesn't condemn you. 
However, the guilt of the enemy capitalizing on the wrong you've done and condemns you for that wrong. But Jesus Christ came to the world to take away that condemnation. And like I said, it honestly would be impossible for us to progress in Christ with that condemnation in our hearts. So the first way Jesus came to manifest himself as the light of the world is that he brought hope. He brought um, um, he brought deliverance and freedom from that condemnation. And this is, again, um, tied to our salvation experience. But it doesn't end in that salvation experience. Okay? So the first manifestation is Jesus uh, of Jesus as the light of the world is that he, he came to take away condemnation. All right? And I said here that condemnation weakens our, our ability and our resolve to follow God. Okay, and it's, I mean, it's, it's really terrible, really, really terrible. I've been in situations where I, I did something wrong and I didn't have the boldness to pray again because I felt God would not hear me. By, I mean, I just, this is, I just did this wrong thing. Why would God hear me? Until God had to give me the revelation of his grace and of his mercy and also of his blood so that I had to know that if I do something wrong, there's no point running away from God because God is the one that will cleanse me. So, of what use is it if I run from God? Secondly, Jesus Christ said, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast, I will in no means or in no way cast away. Basically saying, if you come to me, regardless of what you've done, I will not drive you away. And check all through scripture, there is no single person that came to Jesus, regardless of the state of the person that Jesus Christ ever sent back. And that's how you know the love of the Father towards us. So God never condemns us. Yes, he convicts us when we do wrong. Yes, he, he sheds his light upon um, any wrong deed that we've done, but he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't uh, relinquish us to a state where we are helpless. <clears throat> no, he is our help. And let, let me just say this to encourage everyone here. As Christians, um, you know, you know, think about it this way. When you're walking, when you're taking a walk, let's say, um, on the road, it's very possible for you to pick up dust, you know, it's possible for for dirty water to splash on you. It's possible for, you know, smoke to come on your body and all of that. Uh, and when you go home, what you do is that you shower, you wash yourself, and you're clean again. You don't you don't throw your clothes away. You just wash the clothes. You don't throw yourself away. You just have your bath. You know, it's the same way um, in our Christian walk. As we walk with God, here and there we'll pick up dust, we'll pick up dirt, we'll pick up um, mud, we'll pick up sand, we'll pick up things that would stain us. Uh, that will stain our garment. What God expects from us is that we go to Him um, and we, we get washed. The Bible says we are washed by the by the, uh, by the washing of water by the Word. Okay, and um, the Bible lets us know that His blood makes us clean. So we go to God and we get washed. So I encourage everyone. In fact, let me tell you the truth. The best time to even go to God in prayer is the very moment you realize you've done something wrong and your heart is making you feel condemned. That same moment. Don't even, don't overthink it. Just go to God straight and say, God, I come home. I know I just did this thing wrong. I am sorry. I repent. I don't have anybody but you. I pour myself before you. See me. If you chastise me, chastise me. But I'd rather be chastised in your presence than run away from your presence. And God always receives and welcomes us in, in such experiences. All right? So absence of condemnation is the first manifestation of Jesus as the light. <clears throat> For Jesus Christ said, I did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. Praise God. Okay, so the second um, revelation of Jesus as the light of the world 
is still in that um, verse of scripture we are reading. So let's go back to John, to John chapter 8, verse 12. Please, as always, if you have questions, we will take questions at the end of this. Um, so you can just jot them down and so we don't so we don't forget them. So John chapter 8, verse 12. So you should please read for us again. John chapter 8, verse 12. Anybody? Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd. Uh, go on, Faith. Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Praise God. There's something I want to call our attention to in this particular verse. Um, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, right? The next thing that followed shows our responsibility. He says, he that follows me will not walk in darkness. I want to pause there for a moment. That even though Jesus is the light of the world, the only way we can benefit from that light is by following. And this is where, the, uh, where our responsibility comes in. And there is no... There is no expression of Jesus that is automatically conferred on us. We usually would have a part to play for that revelation to find expression in our lives. I hope that's clear. Meaning there's nothing that Jesus Christ is that will just automatically um, be available to us. We usually will have a responsibility, all right? Just like Jesus Christ said, um, when he said, I am the bread of life, he says, he who, he who comes to me, we saw that last week, Meaning that our responsibility in partaking of Jesus as the bread of life is that we come to him. Now, this scripture shows us our responsibility in partaking with partaking in Jesus as the light of the world. And that responsibility is following him. Now, it is important we know that we are called to follow. You know, when Jesus Christ met his disciples, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? Um... Our responsibility is following Christ. And the, by the very definition, following is a present, continuous activity. Meaning that the fact that I followed Jesus yesterday doesn't mean today I would not follow him. Um, and the fact that I follow him today doesn't mean tomorrow I wouldn't follow him. Following Jesus Christ is a daily, continuous responsibility. Secondly, following Jesus is... Um, is Again, tied to what I just said, it has to be fresh. You can't say, um, I followed Jesus yesterday. Let me just rest today, and then tomorrow I'll continue my journey. No, your journey of following Jesus Christ is, our journey of following Jesus Christ is every day. And it is in our following Christ that we experience him as the light of the world. Okay, so I just want to point that out. But this is where I'm actually going to. He now says that um, he, who, he who follows me right, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So I want to ask us a question again. What does the light of life mean? Jesus Christ said, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. So I want to take two minutes and I want us to share, you know, what does the light of life mean um, to you or what do you understand by light of life? All right, so this is a point where somebody comes to our rescue and share. Again, like I said, there's no, no wrong answer, no right answer. Just share what is in your heart. 
what does what do you think Jesus Christ meant when he says, um, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you would have he said you will have the light of life. So you know what does he mean? Anyone? <clears throat> I'm going to call on someone to, to rescue us. Um, Damilola, please rescue us. What do you understand by the light of life? Um, my understanding is that um, it depicts um, righteousness. It depicts um, a movement away from that um, old life, that life of sin, um, mm -hmm. the one of that that is most with darkness and evil. So, I, I, for me, I believe a key emphasis is when we put on that new garment, righteousness, but it doesn't still mean that, um, I mean, like what you've been saying, um, that's, that idea of condemnation, we still need to kick it out continuously because it's the devil's plan. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, um, Damilola. Um, so, relating to um, our experience as, as born-again Christians, um, Idara says in the chats here, eternal life, um, okay, okay, eternal life, all right. Although I would have asked for further explanation, but one more person wants to share. Idara, yes, explain to us, what do you mean by eternal life? Oh, yeah. That's my understanding. So, um, light that leads to life, that's my understanding. So, no, it, it path to said, eternal life. Okay, the path to eternal life. Yes, that's how I see it. <laughs> hmm, okay. That's why I wrote eternal life. Path to eternal life. That sounds very deep. But we'll accept it. All right. Uh, one more person. Um, light of life. Just like I said, if you follow me, you're not walking in darkness, but you have the light of life. Um, share with us what, what does that mean? One more Hello. person. Yeah, hi, Kedichi. Okay, so for me, it means that um, there are some things that will come to us that are supposed to be hard, but will be made simple. We'll be giving instructions, will be, you know, some hidden truths, some hidden truths will be revealed to us that will necessarily not have gotten by our own wisdom or understanding. You know, so um, him being our life, and or in life we necessarily not struggle for things the way we, would, we are meant to struggle for things you know we will just have these comes to the things of you know the world the things you know that partake into our life here on earth it will just be made simple by his light things will just be made simple for us in our business in our life in decisions you know following him him shining the light everything will just be made plain and simple for us okay thank you so much Kelechi. i I'm, i don't have anything to add to that thanks for that explanation um all right so so let's let's read this again remember jesus christ said if you follow me you shall have you will not walk in darkness but you have the light of life all right let's read a scripture that's in in the book of john chapter one go to the beginning of john john chapter one verse verse um four John chapter 1, verse 4. Um, you know, the beginning... Well, the first, let, okay, let me just read from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him 
was not anything made that was made. So this was this is referring to Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he now says that in him was life, okay? And the life was the light of men. <clears throat> so it says, talking about Jesus Christ, that in him, in him, Jesus Christ contained life. And this life that he contained was the light of men or is the light of men, meaning the life that Jesus Christ contained is what brought illumination. So ref, going back to what you just read, just like I said, if you believe, if you follow me, okay, um, you will not walk in darkness, but you have the light of life, meaning you have the light that proceeds from life, okay? You have the letter that again, just Christ was saying in essence that if you follow me, you will have the light of life, meaning you will have the light that proceeds from a life, a kind of life. And Jesus, um, John chapter 1 here says that in him, that is in Jesus Christ, was life, and that life was the light of men, meaning that life gave birth to a, a, a light that serves men. I want us to read one more scripture before I explain where I'm going to. Um, Psalm 36, verse 9. Psalm 36, verse 9. I will just read that quickly. <clears throat> Psalm 30, where's Psalm 36? Sorry, pardon me, I'm using a copy Bible. Psalm 36, Psalm 36, verse 9. It says, For with thee is the fountain of life. It now says, In thy light shall we see light. So it says that with God is the fountain of life. Okay? That means the source of life is with God. And it now says, In thy light shall we see light. What I want to establish with these scriptures is that there's a direct correlation with light and life. Meaning, just as we're saying that, I, I'm introducing a kind of life that if you have access to this life, then you would have access to light. There will be illumination on your path. There will be brilliance. There will be everything that light represents in, in, in a person's life. Okay? Now, of course, Idara, you're correct, by the way, when you mentioned the eternal life, you're correct. But I, I wanted you to explain, um, I wanted to know where your, your perspective um, for that was coming from. Okay, so now, like we all know, that life is eternal life. But I need to explain to us the implication of eternal life, and I want to break it down to our daily experience, okay? Um, so Josh Christ was saying, in essence, that when you follow me, you, you, you would not walk in darkness, but you possess the light of life, meaning you possess the light that proceeds from a kind of life, and that is eternal life. And the Bible lets us know that that life is in Jesus, and Psalms says to us that in him, he is the fountain of life, meaning or the source of light is him. And it is then from his light that we now see light, okay? Now, when we go to Genesis chapter... Genesis chapter 3, I just want to show something very quickly. Let's go to the book of the beginnings. Genesis chapter 3, verse... Um, Genesis chapter 3... Look at verse 6. Someone should please read for us Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to read a couple of verses, um, but let's start from verse from verse 6, okay? Somebody, 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 please come to our rescue. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Who hasn't read today? Um, Dami Lola. So, that the fruit of the tree was Sorry? Yeah, please take that again, yes. We're listening. When the woman saw that, it, um, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay, so and just go, yeah, so go one more chapter, one chapter backward, chapter two, and read verse read verse nine. I want to show something there. Chapter two, verse nine. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and tree of knowledge of good and evil. Praise God. Thank you, Tosin. So I want to show something here. If you read this verse that we just read, right, the Bible says that God made, you know, the trees to grow. And he said he gave two, two qualities that the trees had. Number one was that they... They were pleasant to the sight, and then they were good for food, right? So pleasant to the sight and good for food. When we now come to chapter 3, verse 6, where we read, um, when, when the woman was describing this tree, she there was an extra quality that this tree had that was different, that, was, um, that the other trees did not have. It says that and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, and was pleasant to the eyes, okay. But then the third quality that the other trees didn't have, it says that it was desired to make one wise. <clears throat> so this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she now noticed that this particular tree had one more property that the other trees did not have. That it had the ability to make someone wise. Now, just before you think, oh, that's a good thing. No, that is not a good thing. Because when God made man, he said everything was perfect. Man already had every wisdom and everything that he need, required. So the, 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 what she considered as wisdom was exposure to a kind of knowledge that God didn't want them to have. Now, there are two trees in the garden that God says, in fact, there are two trees that God planted in the garden, but there was only one that he said they shouldn't eat of, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. The other tree was the tree of life. Now, it means to say logically that if one was the tree of life, then obviously the other one was the tree of death. It's just that the tree of death had another name. And it, the name was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of, how do I know this? Because, because God said, the moment you eat of this tree, you will die. Meaning that tree was the tree of death. So what is death in God's perspective? Death in God's perspective was, um, was an exposure to a kind of knowledge that was, is of a lesser quality than what God intended. And let me explain. I'm going to tie this to the book of John. So you see, before man sinned, right, before man ate of that, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man, the way man knew things was different. Um, he knew things supernaturally because he had, he had the life of God in him, right? And he knew things by a different method. But when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that quality of life dropped and man began to now know things um, by either good or bad, all right? And th that's what it means, the truth of the knowledge of good or evil. So either it was good or it was evil, but that was a lower level of knowledge. And what happened was that man could no longer partake of a level of knowledge that was only available to those who had life contained in them. Let me take that again. So when before man sinned, he had the life of God with him, okay? And he had, the life of God taught him things. The life of God showed him things. It was because he had the life of God that he could name all the animals and God didn't change anything. God didn't dispute with him. 
It was because of the life of God in him that he could go about taking care of the whole Garden of Eden. And God was not involved in that, his organization, involved in his government. Because everything that God would have done, man did exactly it because he had that life with him. But when man now sinned, he experienced death, meaning they, he didn't have access to that life anymore. So he couldn't relate, he couldn't experience the kind of knowledge um, that he had when the life was there. So his knowledge exposure reduced to a lower experience. Either it was good or it was evil. And because, of, I mean, we see the consequences of that following all through. Now, what Jesus Christ now has come to do for us with eternal life is that he reintroduced us to that economy of life. And I want to say this here that God runs his economy based on life, okay? God's economy is run on life. It's, I mean, that's the best way I can put it. The same way your car runs on fuel or runs on diesel or runs on electricity, right? It is the same way also um, God's economy runs on life. The, the only way we can participate in whatever God has available for us is when we have access to that life. And that life is so robust and so vast that it shows us all things. It, it presents things to us in so many ways. You know, there are several instances where, <coughs> there are several instances where the, the, what we need to do in that moment um, is not either good or evil. So for instance, if you, if you want to, if someone comes and says, oh, um, I saw money in my, in my boss's drawer, should I take the money? That's pretty straightforward. It's a yes or a no question. And obviously you tell him, no, don't take the money because it's not your own. You know, and um, that's that is straightforward. But there are several instances in life that the solution is usually not a yes or no. There are several factors that, that in fact, you don't know how to handle it if you don't have the life of God. And you know, when man, when man sinned, right, um, he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So his his decision-making process was was split into two, either good or it's evil. And, and that's how he made his, made his decision. And so because of that, even when God introduced the law, um, the law was either do this or don't do this. Thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. So it was either a yes or a no. And that for a long time, that's what guided man. But when, when Christ um, came to introduce life, the scope of our decision-making and the method of our decision-making was beyond just good or evil. It knows now. It, it now spread deeper into the very thoughts of God concerning that matter, meaning that even when something is not necessarily bad, yet God, the thoughts of God within our hearts can say, "Don't do this." And even though it is not bad in itself, but the life of God can educate us to say, um, "This should be done, and this should not be done." All right. So this is what Jesus Christ was saying when He says that. If you follow me, you would have access to the light of life. Meaning you have access to the life that can only be experienced and, and experienced by those who have life in them, by those who have eternal life in them. And I want to say to us that it's such a huge privilege um, to have eternal life because there are several, several um, expressions of God that we cannot, we cannot witness if we don't have the life of God. Remember what I said that God runs on an economy of God runs on an economy of life, okay? And that, that life is what guides our interactions. And um, I want to show something here. I want to show something here that um, remember the Bible says that 
um, with you is the fountain of life. That means anyone that comes to God partakes of life. And again, like I emphasize, that God runs on an economy of life. And in the sight of God, when God says something is old, it is not old because it, is been, it has been around for a long time. No. In the sight of God, something is old or new with respect to the presence of life in that thing. All right? So the reason why we say the old covenant is not necessarily because the old covenant came before the current one, but it is old because of the absence of life in it. The reason why, why God refers to our sinful nature as the old man is because that sinful nature is void of the life of God. So everything is new with respect to the presence of life. And that's because God runs an economy of life. So when God says you are a new creature, even if you've been a Christian for the past 20 years, in sight of God, you are still new because you, you carry the life, because of the presence of the life of God in you. And again, let me emphasize that God runs on an economy of life. So to bring this down very practical <clears throat> to us, you know, one of the one of the privileges we have as, as believers is that when we come to Jesus, we receive eternal life, and then God begins to relate with us based on the expressions of the life of God within us, all right? So just like a, let me say, just like a living thing, for instance, a, our, our basic science has taught us that there are qualities and properties of a living thing, right? Um, a living thing moves, a living thing breathes, a living thing um, um, goes, reproduces and all of that. All those expressions are, are, are possible because, because the thing is living. Now, when we come to God and we, we come alive in God, there are certain expressions that our spirits encounter that is only possible because we are now alive in God. So for instance, when we witness the peace of God in our spirits, right, that is only possible because we have the life of God. It's not something that is generic. It is only possible because the eternal life of God is present in our spirits. Have you ever been praying, for instance, have you ever prayed and, you know, let's say you are praying and praying and praying and, and interceding for something, and then all of a sudden, you just began to feel joy in your spirits. You began to feel so joyful that you started laughing or you started singing or and, and something just burst out, a song burst out or laughter just burst out from your, from your spirit. That is an expression of, of the life of God. It's, it's the movement of God in your spirit. And this is what Jesus Christ was saying that in the Bible says in um, John 1 verse 4, it says in him was life and that life was the light of men. So the life that Jesus Christ brings the life that Jesus Christ brings, right, contains another kind of illumination. Um, okay, let me, let me say it this way. You know, one of the representations of light is illumination, okay? Uh, when the Bible says that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, meaning you are illuminated to the, to the revelation of God. So one of the representations of light is illumination. So what Jesus Christ was saying, and that illumination brings it brings an education to us. Okay, so just follow me. The, the revelation of God or the illumination of God brings an education. So when we say, for instance, that somebody is enlightened, <clears throat> what, I, what, what we mean really is that the person is educated in certain things, educated in science, educated in um, politics, educated in, in whatever it may be. So this is what Jesus Christ was saying, that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
Meaning the light, the life of God brings about a, a certain form of education. And that is why the Bible says that in him is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Meaning from the education of God, we draw our own reference, we draw our own education. What I'm saying is this, that there's a way the life of God will educate you in your living. That if somebody looks at you, they will know that this person is doing what he's doing because he's educated by a different kind of life. Okay? Let me give an example now. Um, for the past, this is when yet 2021, okay, we finished 2020 last year. So for the past, um, say, four years, every 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 time in the year, there's a particular time in the year where <clears throat> I know a new season for me has come. And it didn't come because somebody told me. It came because <clears throat> I was observant to the movement of God in my spirit. And what I now noticed, right, the, the life of God was educating me now about my own life, about my own times and seasons. And what the education of the life of God showed me was that whenever that season comes, I should go into a fast so I typically fast for about a month or a little over a month, that period, because I have I sense that it is a change of season. Now, what I'm telling you, if I tell you the time of the year, it doesn't mean you should do it because it's a personal education that the life of God has shown me, okay, as an individual. And that is why Jesus Christ said, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You know, walking in darkness means things will just be happening in your life. You don't understand what's going on. You can't explain what's going on. You are just, things are just happening, like, like we say in Nigeria, bus bus, bus bus. Things are just going left and left and you can't explain it. That means the person is walking in darkness. But just like I said, when you walk, follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you have the light of life, meaning you have the education that the life of God supplies. So the life of God in you can educate you and say, every end of the month, give this certain amount of money to maybe a certain ministry or to a particular person or whatever it is. Now, that is the life of God teaching you what to do. And as you are consistently following that um, direction and that directive from God, you begin to see certain results in your life that will be effortless, just like um, just like Kelechi, Kelechi explained, that the light of God means things that people will struggle to do. You will not be struggling to do them because an education has come to you from the life of God that you possess. I hope that was not too technical. But yeah, that question would we'll, we'll, we'll ask it. So I, I really want to say this to us um, very well, and I want to explain this point to us very well, and we're wrapping up with this, that when we when we become Christians, we receive eternal life. That eternal life educates us in, in so many things. Remember, the Bible says that um, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it says it is righteousness, it is peace, it is joy in the Holy Ghost. Those three things are expressions of the life of God within your, your spirit. Okay, righteousness, meaning the life can educate you and tell you, this is what to do, this is what to, you should not do. Even in situations where the action itself is not sinful, but the life of God in you can educate you on what to do. It now says righteousness, it says peace. The life of God brings, um, I'm like just like I explained, you know, you might be, you might want to take a decision and all of a sudden, peace just leaves you. You know, that is one of the ways God leads us. And you just see that you no longer have peace in your heart again. And you say, no, no, I'm not doing this. What you experienced was an education of the life of God. All right? And then the Bible says, joy in the Holy Ghost. 
uh, just like I explained, <coughs> let me use an example again, that you might just be praying for this. And, and personally, right, this is one of the ways I know that a prayer has been answered. You know, there was a time we prayed for a friend of mine. His sister had a very terminal um, illness. And we had been interceding and praying for, for several days. And this particular day, I was the one leading the prayer. And we just started praying. And in the midst of the prayer, you know, first of all, God gave us a scripture. And we we're praying over that scripture. And all of a sudden, I just burst out in laughter. And I was laughing. Say, listen, in my mind, I was telling myself, Victor, be careful. The way you're doing now, if somebody enters this room or more, they'll call, they'll just call hospital for you. It, was, it wasn't making sense to me. I was laughing and I knew it was not, there was nothing funny going on. The laughter came from my spirit. The joy came from my spirit. And that is one of the ways God shows me that a prayer has been answered. That's one of the educations of the life of God in, in our spirits to say, this thing you are praying about, you know, has been answered. And sometimes, let me tell you, sometimes, right, you can be worshiping God and God, you begin to get a prompt in your heart that says, just stand up and dance. There's no music playing. In fact, sometimes you might even be praying, not even worshiping. You might just be praying and God says, get up and dance. And you begin to wonder, what am I dancing for? But that is what the life of God educates you about. As you follow that, that life, right, as you follow the promptings of the life of God within your spirit, what happens is that you begin to see, you, you, let me tell you what happens in the realm of the spirit. You, you are in sync with certain spiritual activities that you yourself, you are not even conscious of. And God, of course, will not bother explaining to you. All he just requires from you is to respond to the life of God. Okay? So I'm encouraging us today that whenever we are prompted by that life, let us respond to it. It might be, it might be anything. It might be, be leading you to, to call somebody or leading you to say something to someone or leading you to do something. Whatever the life of God is educating you about, do it. And secondly... You know, our life, I just want to emphasize this again, our life operates with times and seasons and we have, I mean, we have unique experiences. The only way you can accurately fulfill and take, make the most of every time and season in your life is by understanding the education, the education of God, of the life of God in your own, in your own life. You know, you get what I mean? How the life of God will lead you. <clears throat> say for example, for instance, right, there are certain times when the life of God prompts me to give out all my clothes and I can give out all my clothes maybe just to a, a handful that is left and there is, I don't know why even till now I can't explain to you why but I just know that that's what the life of God is educating me to do and those things happen season after season, alright so be diligent to the promptings of the life of God within you alright, we got to stop here um, time is fast spent let me just quickly see if there's something I want to cover um, all right, no, no, that has been covered. Okay, praise God. So we're going to take questions and contribution. We are really out of time, but let us see. Anyone wants to ask a question from what we looked at, <clears throat> um, or wants to share a con wants to make a contribution or share something with us? Anyone? Um, I actually wanted to. I was going to explain, hmm, no time. But there, there are some things here that I want to explain, but we can't do that today. <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm, we're waiting for questions. Anyone? Benjamin, Idara, Faith, Kelechi, Tosin, Niyi, Damilola, Cecil, Ronke. Anyone has a question? I want to share. I want to ask, rather. 
No one. Okay. Okay, no question. All right. Um, um, oh, Benjamin. <coughs> hi, everyone. Hi, Benjamin. Okay, all right. Um, I think quickly I need to, uh, I just wanted to, uh, it's not actually a question. It's um, a contribution to uh, mm -hmm. light you shit for us. And um, I feel testimonies are basically like, what illuminates us as well as Christians, you know, yeah. where our light comes over other people. And I need to, I think, thank you for actually creating this opportunity to be able to, you know, <coughs> impact on people with your light. So not just waste more time. I think one thing, um, like you said, was um, for us to be sensitive to that light, that prompting in us. And um, I think it's one very important thing for us. Um, Someone, I, I can't remember what book I read from. I read it from that. It says that delayed obedience is uh, disobedient, you know? So sometimes when the Holy Spirit tells us to do something or we feel that notch to move and then we take time to try to understand. And like one of my, one of the preachers I used to listen to used to tell us that the foolishness of Christ, in as much as it sounds like that, but I want you to understand what I mean. Like the foolishness, that's the thing that looks foolish to us. Could be like the wisest things that any human being can comprehend. So the Holy Spirit could tell you, stand up, go outside. And you go outside, nothing happens, then come back inside. At that point to you, it might make no sense, right? But mm -hmm. somebody might be looking from somewhere and then probably saw how you look, and then that thing just gives that person light. Or probably God is nudging you to understand that, okay, I am speaking to you, and I need you to, I want to know if you're attentive while I'm telling you to do something right there away. And the more we break past that level, like the more we are able to key into that signal. Like you said, it's all about seasons. So being able to understand and move immediately, it might not make sense to us, but being able to move makes a lot of sense. And um, just to say, sometimes we, we like uh, Joyce Meyer would always say, you will never know if you're right or wrong until you make a move. So sometimes it might not make sense. Sometimes when we move, we might not, we might be chastised from making those moves. But trust me, it's always leading somewhere. So uh, I just felt like I should uh, emphasize that once again. And yeah. uh, I hope the Lord would help us to be sensitive more and more in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for sharing, Benjamin. Um, any other person wants to share? Um, if you have a question, please go ahead. If you don't have a question, you want to share just one thing you learned today or something you want to you know, add to all that has been said so far, or at least one thing you learned today that you are going back to apply this week. Please feel free. <clears throat> Hi. Hi, Kelechi. Okay, so... It's it's very funny, and I know I have. Um, if you know me, I've said this thing before. Um, that God literally speaks to people. You know, it's funny how I was wondering. I I'm not on your Bible study group. I just joined this evening, but somehow I was going, <laughs> I was going through my WhatsApp status, and I saw you had put up this 
whole thing and I wanted to join and I joined. In fact, I did not even have Zoom. I just downloaded it this evening. Oh, wow. And another thing is this, this throughout they have been thinking about how, how to rise above conviction and out of condemnation. It was just something, it was a topic that was, you know, in my spirit because I had done something yesterday and I was feeling, ah, is it bad? You know, even though I felt like I had done something wrong, I was like, how do I rise above, you know, conviction and step out of condemnation to resume back into the presence of the Holy Spirit and, you know, to be attentive to when God is talking to me and all. And before you know it, when I joined the um, Bible study this evening, that's exactly what you were talking about. And I was, in fact, my eyes were like, what? No way. It cannot even be possible. She gets immediately. I took my notepad, I got my Bible, I got my pen out, and I was writing down all the scriptures, you know, to meditate on later on. And it, it just occurred to me that that was the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You know, if I did not go through my WhatsApp status, I wouldn't have seen the Bible study, you know, but it just felt like I was supposed to be there. Didn't really, I didn't really, I've seen it before, you know, and I said, oh, I would like to join this. So, and I, at the end of the day, I won't join. But today it felt like, oh no, I needed to be there. When, even when I did not have the app, I downloaded it, you know, joined and just to answer the question I was having in my spirit. So even though this is just to encourage somebody, sometimes it really doesn't, you know, in church on Sunday, you know, um, Pastor Pojo said, you don't have to hear like a voice that says, this is the voice of the Holy Spirit, you know. Well, it, it's in little things. It's the nudging to do one particular thing. It is just that feeling in your heart, you know, that ah, I should do this. And sometimes it's very strong. Sometimes it's, you know, little. But if you're sensitive enough, you will know when, you know, this spirit which is God's spirit, is nudging you to a particular direction. And I really pray that um, as, you know, children of God, as Christians, we are sensitive in the spirit to know when that, when that instruction or when that word drops from God and not, you know, blow it off as one of those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kilichi. Thank you so much for sharing. All right, can we take one more person before we close? Anyone wants to share one thing you've learned today <clears throat> that you're going back with? One thing you learned today that you're going back with? Uh, nobody wants to share. Come to our rescue, somebody, please help us end today's study with your, with your what if a light bulb moment here. Yeah. Um, anyone, anyone? Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> there I said we are all digesting it. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to, I really have lost someone to speak, but that's fine. <clears throat> okay. So if there's no one speaking, then we're going to end for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Um, this is almost 8.30. Um, thank you so much. Um, just a few well, announcements. So we have a podcast um, where we upload all our recordings from Bible study. We upload it on our podcast, on our podcast channel, yeah? 
So you can always go back to it and listen to it whenever you you want to. And, and I sincerely encourage everyone to go back to it, um, listen to it, and right, study scriptures for yourself. Like I said, knowing God for yourself is so important. All that we can do is to you know introduce God and help us. The aim of Bible study is so that we can all fellowship together and get to know God, right? But it's usually a personal encounter. And no, no Bible study, no church service, no, no con conference or concert can ever substitute your own personal um, fellowship with God. So I encourage all of us to go back and dig, dig deeper. All right. Um, secondly, please, if you're not in the WhatsApp group, um, join us in the group. You, we drop all the information and, and um, everything. Communication just happens there and it's more seamless. So please feel free to join us in the WhatsApp group. And thirdly, please encourage, um, I encourage us rather to invite someone next time we come in. We are going to open a, an Instagram page. Um, we're going to open an Instagram page this week. I'll, I'll post it in the group when we when we're open it. You know, one of the things God was telling me yesterday was how that our teachings, our teachings will go to the nations. And, you know, we're speaking about the reach and influence and everything. So, yeah, just we're going to open an Instagram page and we trust that God will bring in more people. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. God bless you. Let's say a word of prayer as we conclude. Um, Faith, please say a word of prayer for us as we, as we round up. Faith, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Right. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, thank you. I just want to say thank you for flooding our eyes with light. Thank you because of all that we have learned today for the principles, for the presence, for the person of Jesus. Lord, we say thank you. Help us, oh Lord, to be doers of your word. Help us to put all of these things that we have learned to practice. Help us, oh Lord, to have an intimate fellowship with you that will see it as a priority. Lord, help us in our work with you. Help us to, to be the light of the world. Help us to live with that consciousness that you are our light. Help us a lot to find expression so God. These are many more we ask for. In Jesus' mighty name, pray. We also Amen. want to thank you, O oh Lord, for Victor. He has been a blessing to us. We ask your God that you supply him with much more grace in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, good night, everyone. See you next week, same time and same um, same link. Um, yeah, God bless you. See you next week. Bye. <clears throat>